but open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. 2 Peter 1, 19. We're going to continue our study there of that. Uh, these last three verses of chapter 1 are really, uh, uh, really great verses, really neat verses. And uh, we've, we're taking a little time to look at the different words that are used there, see exactly what this, what this uh, verse is trying to tell us. And uh, I know nobody's been distracted this last week. I mean, meanwhile, you remember the old phrase, meanwhile back at the ranch? Came out, meanwhile back at the animal farm. This last week, we found out that they're hitting more home runs in the major leagues because of climate change. <laughs> and you wonder why God gets mad at the leadership of any country over the course of time. Whenever you think you can pass off something that totally stupid... To um, maybe the people are better, maybe it's it's amazing. And also, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Al Pacino at age 83 has now got a, his girlfriend of 29, uh, who's 29 years old, uh, pregnant. So he's going to be having a child. I guess his hundredth uh, birthday. He'll be there for her graduation or his graduation. Uh, <clears throat> and I also noted back at the animal farm. On Glamour magazine was a woman who was uh, big and pregnant who declared herself a man. So can a man have a baby? And she's a uh, trans who is PG saying a man can have a baby. Uh, actually, she was born with a uterus, so we can have a big argument over what she is. I don't care what they're. Uh, I guess. I guess if we ever have to go to war, the other side is going to have to call our military. Uh, by the wrong pronoun to get them mad enough to fight. And that is back at the ranch. That's the country that we are living in and the world we're living in right now. All right, now that we've got that out of the way, let's just clear our heads of all the other stuff, all the silliness that is floating around. The leadership, I guess, thinks we're totally stupid. So we're going to, and so they're going to try and foster these false views on us. And so we need to stand firm. To do that, we stand firm with the Word of God. And so let us take this time, push away all the junk out of our out of our heads, and decide to focus on what God has to say to us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we're so blessed, we're so thankful, we're so honored that you would call us your kids. Father, we know it's not by anything we did, but it's by everything that our, our brother, your son, did in our behalf. And Father, what an amazing blessing that is. I pray, Father, that this morning that we'll be able to understand and know and remember this portion of your word and then be able to use it wisely as we face the various trials of life. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, 2 Peter 1.19, you, you might remember going back through the, the chapter, the first 11 verses were about virtue, what all is involved, and what our goals in life should be, which is to love God and love one another, established as the two greatest commandments. And then we started seeing Peter kind of open up as a teacher and telling us about some of the characteristics of a true teacher, a good teacher. And verse 19 he says, so we have more firm the prophetic word to which you are doing well paying attention to as of a lamp shining in a miserable place until a day may shine through 
and a bringer of light might arise in your heart. They translate that morning star. It's a phosphoros. It's actually a bringer of light. It's only used once. But it is a it is a uh, picture. He says, the prophetic word made more sure. Now, what's he talking about? The first advent. With the fulfillment of the prophecies of the first advent, now we see prophecy come, coming true, or as he did in the first century, coming true in a, within a more reliable way. So if we have prophecy now that is yet unfulfilled, we can look back at history and say, well, God's fulfilled all the other prophecies. Won't he fulfill these? And the answer, I believe, is a resounding yes. So <clears throat> he says that uh, let's pay attention to the prophetic word to which you do well paying attention. And paying attention is prosecco. I, I love this word because it's one of the, the words that is just kind of in your face. <laughs> it's actually pros means before the face of and echo means to have. So it means to have before the face of, have before your face. In other words, pay attention to it. And he says, to which you do well, paying attention, like a lamp shining in a miserable place. That's a unique word that is... Um, uh, uh, dirty, dismal, miserable, oxmoros is the word that's used there, until a day may shine through and a bringer of light may arise in your heart. He's basically saying that if we start out as a baby believer, we kind of grow up, and as we, as we grow, we get closer and closer to the Lord. And usually it's by trauma that we go through, different things, different tests. That's why we're to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Because these various tests that we go through, the difficult tests we go through, they're either going to bring us closer to God or push us away. And it's really our choice. So where do we want to be? Where do we want to come down on the other side? And he said, and Peter is saying, I'm hoping you really grab hold of who Messiah is here. And that he become not just a theological concept that you've got in your notebooks, but a true hum, a true person that you have a close relationship with, closer than any other relationship on earth. So we've been through several of the points. We're actually down at point seven, and we got into some of those points right there. And that we're looking at paying attention to the elements of darkness that seek to distract us. It hit me the other day, if you, if, when we're in a really dark night, lights really are important, right? And also, if you're going to be a light of the world and you're going to carry the lamp of the Lord and all that, you know what you just did? You became a target for the darkness to shoot at you because they can see you. If you have your lights on inside of your house and it's dark outside and you got the windows open, people can see in. Why? It is darkness that is able to see into the light. But the light has trouble seeing into the darkness at times. So what do we want? You're going to become a target. We can count on it. The Lord said it. That's what's going to happen. Now, we learned that paying attention to self-glory. We shouldn't want to do things for fame. Simple fame, self Self-glory, trying to parade our righteousness before men, show other people how holy we are. We need to be aware of and pay attention to false prophets who seek to steal what is what is yours. The false prophets will come in and offer all kinds of things. In fact, in 2 Peter 2, 
which, Lord willing, will be there next week. In 2 Peter 2, we're going to start looking at, at some of the false prophets of the last days. And that one mention in verse 1 is quite interesting what one actually, verse 1 actually entails. Even paying a, a denying the master who bought them has a lot of depth to that particular verse. Then we find that serpents on two legs will try to kill your ministry. They'll seek to kill it. And that's another one of the things that we looked at. That's people that want to, actually they're doing the devil's work. Some know it, some don't. I find it interesting. They've got a big argument going on at the uh, Dodgers out in Los Angeles over these uh, men dressed up like women uh, nuns. And they're, they're trying to push their uh, agenda on uh, Major League Baseball, etc. How ridiculous. I actually got to go to see the Oklahoma City Dodgers Friday. We already had tickets, and I got to thinking about that. I thought, oh, my gosh, that's the start of Pride Month. It's in downtown Oklahoma City. Are we going to run into a gay parade down there what are we going to run into at the ballpark so I stopped and looked it up there wasn't anything planned <laughs> so <laughs> Brad and Christy and I went on down there and had a great time at the ballpark and didn't run into any of that stuff whatsoever in Oklahoma City I am happy to report because it's not something that I am I'm not a homo I'm not homophobic What? that means I'm afraid of them I'm not. I feel sorry for them. If it had nothing to do with homophobia. Grief. Anyway, how about legalism? We need to pay attention to legalism that spread from others and from others and to others. Matthew 16, 6 says, Beware. Watch out and beware. This means beware is our translation of prosecco. Bring it in front of your face. Pay attention to it of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pay attention. Kind of look at look for the details. I like to collect coins. And one of the things about coins is you have to take a real careful look at them to see what grade they are, whether they are uh, the correct date, worn slick, whatever they are. You have to bring them up, bring it before your face. And that's what it's saying. You have to know what legalism is. Uh, maybe you, like me, was raised in a legalistic church. I could tell you all the big five don'ts, you know, in order to be saved. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. You all know those. And then I thought it was so great whenever I got smart that there was such a thing as legalism. And I actually, actually ended up trading one legalism for another. And the second one, in a lot of ways, was a lot more insidious. Because as we thought we had everything right, some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about, and that we couldn't possibly be wrong, and that we had to have that we had it right, and the world had it wrong, and actually what we were doing is is functioning in our own legalism. I mean, after all, singing over two songs in a church service is just a waste of time. Hmm. Does the Bible tell you how many to sing? Making melody with songs sounds like two anyway to make a plural of the, the songs, hymns and spiritual songs. So <clears throat> it's real easy to get real legalistic 
over a lot of things, and music is probably one of the biggest ones. Uh, when the devil fell, he landed in the choir loft, is what they frequently said, because it's interesting. You can like what you like, I can like what I like, and we need to love one another well enough to be able to accept that. That's just the way it is, unless it's a heretical song. It can be done in a lot of different forms. Legalism comes to us, and we have to pay attention to it so we don't get legalistic. And if we're not careful, it'll go to others. A lack of forgiveness is also something we need to pay attention to that puts us under the control of someone else. From Luke chapter 17, the Lord speaking, Be on your guard. Prosecco. Pay attention to. Bring it in front of your face. Check this out. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive, then forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. You know, they got that prayer answered along the way. Did they let each other down? Yeah. Did they get mad at each other? Yeah. Did they accuse each other of wrongdoing? Yeah. Ah, sounds sounds kind of like a church, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, they had to figure out how to how to get along. A lack of forgiveness, because if we can't forgive somebody, they control us in a way. They live in our head, and we don't we don't need anybody living in our head but the Lord. And to do that, we have to be able to forgive. That means we're not considering it all the time. Has anybody in here been wronged? You don't have to hold up your hand. Every one of us has. It probably started back in grade school. We've all been wronged somewhere along the line. But are we still carrying that around in grudges? Now, the Freeman family never carried grudges over 50 years at a time. And that's a fact. That's a fact. And they would get mad at one another and not talk to each other for decades. And then finally, one of them would come to their senses and they'd open up communication again. And why, why didn't they just take care of that business a lot faster than that? I don't know. People are only concerned, people who are concerned only for themselves and have no conscience pay attention to this because there are sociopaths, there are hedonists, in the last days, men will be lovers of self. That leads off a list of 20 things for the last days. And we're seeing that now, where people are only interested in old number one. You can buy books on that, looking out for old number one. It's been out about 30 years, I think, or so. And people have turned this into an art form. They only care about themselves. Now, that harms marriages. I can guarantee you that harms marriages. It harms families. When one individual just says it's all about me and it's not really about you, and if you, there's even a song out like that. Did you hear? You remember that song, anybody? It's all about me. It's all about me. It's not about you. If you think it's about you, it's not really about you. It's because it's all about me. Probably paraphrasing the words too bad. Anyway, Luke 20, 46. Beware of the scribes. Pay attention to the attorneys who like to walk around in long robes they love respectful greetings in the marketplaces 
and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses. That, that's a... Why would you pray on the, the, the most vulnerable? I heard something, may have been this morning on the news, that they, they were warning about scams and that us, us more seasoned people above the 65 cutoff range, two-thirds of the scams are fostered on people are aging up. We get a little more, more gullible, a little bit more trusting, and we may be a little bit more lonesome, and we want to trust people. He says, and they devour widows' houses. There are people who prey on that. They have no real conscience about them. And for appearances' sake, they offer long prayers. These will receive the greater condemnation. So pay attention to the, these are elements of darkness that are out there. They're still out there, and these type of things are going to shoot at us. The worries of life that will weigh one down. Luke 21. <clears throat> Be on guard. Once again, pay attention. Bring it in front of your face. Make it a part of your conscious uh, thought here. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Luke 21 is right in all of that discourse. And the Lord is, is warning them. And he's talking about one of these days when he's going to come back, but in any time frame, anywhere, we're supposed to pay attention because we can get so stressed and so strapped trying to take care of the everyday pressures of life. I've heard people using the phrase uh, lately, that's a first world problem. Well, we have... Uh, you know, we have first world problems that absolutely will drive us to the garage door. Opener's not working. Think about that just a second. That can stress us out beyond all imagination. But first of all, we have a house, we have a garage door, and we have an opener. And it's not working, which most of the world doesn't have. And we're so worried about that that we just... We, we lose sight of the things that are really... That's what it's talking about, being weighed down with the worries of life, not inconsequential things that won't pass the 100-year test. What good is... What difference does it make? I guess we need to make a doctrine. The doctrine of what difference does it make? Now, <clears throat> spiritual myths that distract from the truth. We need to learn the difference in worldviews so we can identify them because they are very good at sneaking up on us. They, uh, they sneak in. 1 Timothy 1 verses 3 and 4 says, I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia. Remain on at Ephesus <coughs> in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines nor to pay attention, take a real close look at, spend more time than they need to to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. Hmm. Look at that, that. Not to pay attention to take too close a look at myths. And I go back to 
Bartlesville and our time in Bartlesville and the 10 years we spent there and and uh, it was um, a real learning experience to say the least. <clears throat> One of the things that we started looking at back then was the New Age movement. And the New Age movement, I don't know if you're familiar with it, most of you probably are, it's basically Hinduism in a Western suit is, is what the New Age movement is. <clears throat> the New Age movement... We decided, because Dave Hunt was writing books, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people were writing books at the time, and so we thought we need to teach our kids about the New Age movement. So we had four classes a week for the, we had four classes a week for the kids. We had a class every time we had a Bible class. We had a curriculum that was set out to cover different things in three years, and we were going to cover basic systematic. We were going to cover different areas of systematic theology. Uh, basic information for our young people. And so <clears throat> a couple of the teachers said, we need to put this in the curriculum so they'll be able to identify it. I said, yeah, let's do that. So they started writing material because after all, we couldn't trust anybody else back then. We had it all right. So we couldn't. We had to do our own stuff. So they started writing material and they came to me and said, oh, the kids are just loving this. And it's fascinating. I learned to be afraid of the word fascinating. Especially if you're looking at something that's got occult overtones. Because that's part of the snare. And so we had outlined six months and they came to me again and said, we've already got a year's worth of material for this. We need a bigger bracket to do this. And I said, no. We're not going to. We're going to spend six months, it's plenty long enough, to teach our young people what they need to know to be able to identify the problems with the New Age movement and how insidious it is and how it moves in. And they said, that's not enough time. I said, it is enough time. I said, they need to know the truth instead of studying the counterfeit, paying close attention to myths is part of the problems that, that arise. And then people get enthralled with that, and that's all they can think about and all they can talk about. They needed to know the essence of God inside and out. They need to know His promises inside and out. They need There are things that are much more critical than to know that, that particular element of that particular time frame back in the 80s. So spiritual myths that distract from the truth I'm glad we've got people like Walter Martin and, and have been able to come and put together some books on cults and world religions, Josh McDowell. I'm, I'm thankful that we have, but when you spend too much time studying those and not enough time spend, uh, spent uh, researching the truth, then you get out of balance and can easily be led astray. Spiritual myths that distract from the truth. Intoxicants that distort perception from... 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. The first seven verses are anyone who aspires to the office of an overseer. It is a qualifications for a elder, pastor, teacher, uh, episkopos, which is a, they translate as bishop. It is a, um, uh, yeah, it's a list of qualifications. Verse 8 says, deacons likewise. So that there are qualifications, spiritual qualifications for people to hold, 
the office of pastor, elder, teacher, or to hold the office of deacon. And he says, they must be men of dignity. For the pastor teacher, it says above reproach, and says it also in Titus 1. He says, not double-tongued. You don't want people to say one thing, do something else. Or addicted to much wine. The word translated addicted is prosecco. They're paying way too, too much attention, too much wine, or fond of sordid gain. In other words, they're greedy people. It says you don't want deacons who are say one thing and do something else. Okay, They're not trustworthy when that happens. When they pay too much attention to alcoholic beverages and are fond of making money any way they can make it. He says, but rather you want them that hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That's the kind of people that you want. <clears throat> Some of the... Uh, had been blessed at Trinity with a lot of good deacons. And in Bartlesville, too. It's... I don't know if I'm going to say it or not. Anyway, the worst deacons I've had over 30 years thought they were qualified to be deacons. They looked at those and went, lost all their grace, and thought, I got these all right. But all of us are failures at times. We need people that are humble. That's the type of deacon that should be a leader, a spiritual leader. It follows in the footsteps of the carpenter. And deceitful spirits who lead away from the faith. 1 Timothy 4.1 The Spirit explicitly says in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention holding in front of their face deceitful, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That's even going to infiltrate the church. And did infiltrate the church. Deceitful spirits who lead away from the faith. It's all over the place right now. Even the, the Methodists are on the verge of, of uh, dividing up. Interestingly enough, over conservative versus liberal viewpoints of the scriptures. And the Methodists were pretty loose to begin with. They weren't originally. They, they had a method to their Bible studies, why they were called Methodists. And so they were Bible students. But then about 50, 60 years ago, they moved away from the full inspiration of Scripture. And when you do that, there's a problem. When you move away, then you end up with every kind of aberration being permitted and even promoted at times in the church. <clears throat> but now, some of them are saying, no, there's certain things we need to hold to. Standards of morality we need to hold to. Does that sound a little bit like Martin Luther in a Roman Catholic church? Maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> so, paying attention to our surroundings, being awake to our surroundings is important. Now, the prophetic word's a lamp. Therefore, <clears throat> it leads the way to the light of the world. Okay, so if it's a lamp, it should, we should be headed to the light of the world. And <clears throat> John chapter 5, 33-37, he says... You have sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth. But the witness which I receive is not from man, but I say these things that you might be saved. 
He was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. This is Jesus talking about John the, the baptizer. But the witness which I have is greater than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he's borne witness, and you've never heard his voice at any time, nor have you seen his form. This is Jesus speaking. These lamps, John, the baptizer, he was pointing to the Messiah. I, I love people arguing about, well, did John know who he was and all that other stuff? In just John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He knew exactly who his cousin was. He did. I, you have trouble convincing me otherwise. He knew exactly who his, who his cousin was. The Lamb of God. That's not something that you just throw at somebody. He knew he was the sacrifice, the substitute for sins that would take away the sins of the world. He knew who he was. Some people say, well, he lost sight of that. What he once knew, he forgot and all that. And he ended up in jail. And he says, hey, you go ask him. They were asking, his, his disciples were asking even John Jeff say, go talk to him. <laughs> you go ask him. Okay? Let him tell you. Because I'm nothing. John knew who he was. He said after that, the Lamb of God, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, how many spiritual leaders actually do that? Somebody else needs to take my place, is what he just said. And he is the one that does. His popularity needs to increase. Mine needs to decrease. There is a picture of John, bold and brash, but humble, because he knew who he was. And he knew who Messiah was. Now, <clears throat> the prophetic word is the lamp. There's a focal point to be shared with other people. Matthew 5:14. You are the light of the world. Oh, Jews, at least you're supposed to be. <clears throat> a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So in our houses, we need to be lights. It's, it is a fact, the light of the world, so one must decide which master to serve. Luke 6, not Luke 6, Matthew 6, verse 20. This is one of those practical passages, and I still find problems with people who say that the Sermon on the Mount was all about the Millennial Kingdom. I just can't wrap my head around that. There, there are great scholars who say that, that this is all about the Millennial Kingdom. It has nothing to do with the church. I think when Jesus speaks, since what his words are is the foundation of sound doctrine according to 1 Timothy 6.3, when he speaks, we better pay attention to it. And here he says... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moss nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And it's kind of like some of us maybe have had cataracts. 
because uh, they kind of dim the light. That's just exactly what they do. My dad refused to have cataract surgery. He was 94 years old, and he kept saying, these lights are getting dimmer in the dining room, and I can't read the paper. I said, Dad, I just changed them. <laughs> it was his eyes that were getting dimmer <laughs> in there. But when you get the cataracts out, what you get is a whole clear blast of, of light. And he says, if your eyes bad, your whole body be full of darkness. If therefore the light's in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? No one can serve two masters. Because he'll either hate the one and love the other, he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. The things of this world, the things of this life. Now, it's <clears throat> a reminder, one day things, all things are going to be clear. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It says this in other places too. Uh, the 1 Corinthians 13 passage comes to mind. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. I love that passage. That means that we're not going to know it all here. No matter how much we think we do, we're not going to know it all here, but one day we will. That, that's going to be great. Luke 8, and the seed and the good soil. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and they hold it fast, and they bear fruit with perseverance. That's where we want to be, right? We've heard the word. We grab hold of it. We want to bear, bear fruit carry the fruit that, that is produced really by the Holy Spirit. And no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. Now, <clears throat> that's not the smartest thing in the world to do, is it? Because if you put it under the bed, you catch the bed on fire. But he puts it on a lampstand in order that those who come in can see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. We think about the the judgment seat of Christ, Second Corinthians five ten. We must be recompensed for our deeds in the body, whether they're good and acceptable or whether they are worthless. We know that they're all going to be analyzed. All going to be the things that we thought we had hidden and covered and all that. All the sins are gone, but we we've been playing games with things other than sins for a long time. And he said. Now you're going to see what it is. I think a lot of it's got to do with the same questions he asked Peter in John 21. Do you love me? I mean, really, isn't that all he's got to ask us? Do we? It's an encouragement to be ready to stand in front of the Lord. It's an encouragement to be ready to stand in front of the Lord from Luke 12. This is all about the lights. He said, we have a lamp shining in a dark place here. A dismal place. He said, Be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps alight. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he turns from the, returns from the wedding feast. So they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself to serve. Have them recline at the table. And we'll come up and wait on them. That's hard to even grasp, isn't it? Can you imagine the Lord serving you? you would, that be a, would that be an object lesson for eternity? It's an object lesson for now. <clears throat> 
whether he comes in the second watch or the third, and he finds him so, blessed are those slaves. Interesting thing about second watch, third watch, and all that other stuff. You know, he, he's going to come back at all of those times, depending on where you are on earth. Will he come in the morning? Will he come in the evening? Yes. <laughs> it's hard to grasp, but when he comes, he's going to light up the whole world. And he's going to take his, his kids out of here. <clears throat> he says, be ready. Son of man is coming in an hour you don't expect. Now, <clears throat> the lamp is a tool to find what is lost. It's interesting because if you're the light in the middle of, a dark, of the darkness and people finally get tired of living in the darkness and need some light, guess who they're going to come to? I've heard so many stories about neighbors who live a righteous life and they live it toward their neighbors. And whenever some, and the neighbor may not even talk to them, maybe that you've given them a tract or a book or something like that along the way, or a Bible. That's the way Thomas Samuel evangelized. Find an unbeliever, pray about it, you buy the Bible and give it to them, is what he said. Over 700,000 Bibles have gone out in India with that, with that um, method. And that's, that's what he did, Operation Mobilization. And so you give it to them, and then whenever they finally get tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired, they know somebody to come talk to. And you have a message that will change not just their life, but their eternity. You've got the right message. It's a tool to find that which is, that which is lost. Now verse 20 <coughs> says, Knowing this. Okay? We finally finally moved on to another verse. And this is a uh, 119. We have more firm the prophetic word to which you are doing well, paying attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until a day may shine through, a particular day, not a specific one, and there's no definite article there, and a bringer of light may arise in your hearts, which is the Lord who is the bringer of light, and you want him to arise in your heart. It doesn't mean that you've been been saved because they're already talking to people who are saved. He's saying that you finally have a tremendous relationship with the Lord himself. And he says, but <clears throat> know this. It's actually a participle, gnosko. Put it in your intellect up here. Know this. Contemporaneous time with our, you are doing well, verse 19. First of all, now, this is a primary hermeneutical principle that he's getting ready to state. People have, we have hermeneutics. They're taught in seminaries. We learn hermeneutics. We study them. It's the science and art of biblical interpretation. And that's what we're supposed to have. But hermeneutics, true hermeneutics, come from the Bible itself, I think. I, I, I see that. I see the Lord teaching hermeneutics, the parable of the sower, Learn this parable because in this way you shall understand all the parables. So he says, hermeneutical principles right here. This is what Peter's saying. Peter finally got some hermeneutics, which thrills me. Thirty years later, we know he did. Maybe he had them quicker. But he says, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now, Normally, whenever you run into interpretation, you see the word translated, you expect a word like hermeneutics, you expect a word, de, de hermeneuo, 
There's other words you expect, and it's not what we have here. It is the word epilusis, E-P-I-L-U-S-I-S. This word is only used once. The verb is used two times. The verb is used in Mark 4.34, Acts 19.39. We'll see them in a minute. And it is a word that means to settle something in court. That's what the word means. So literally, it says that all prophecy does not come become genomai of one's personal determination. Okay, It's not just because you have said it that it is actually a prophecy and that prophecy doesn't come about because you've determined that it will. He says, For no prophecy was ever made. This is the word Pharaoh, aorist passive indicative. No prophecy has been carried, uh, i.e. from heaven to earth, by an act of human will. Literally, it says, by a desire of man. But men moved, present passive participle of Pharaoh, having been carried, or being, being carried by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Okay? The very, very important passages here. Because the way that the Jews especially viewed prophets is when the prophets said it, then it became a uh, prophecy, but they, lo- they left out the fact that God had to give the prophet the message. And so they were saying that men could make prophecies and they could be even determined in a court of law, i.e. by a council of people, a church, whatever it is. They could make that determination and therefore they became a prophecy. And he's saying that's not the way that prophecy works. Now, <clears throat> prophecy does not become prophecy because one person has simply decided that it was prophetic. Now, <clears throat> man doesn't will it to happen. It's kind of like another passage, John 1.12. We're not saved by the will of man. Which means that you can't will yourself to be saved. You can't say, I'm going to be saved, I'm going to be saved. You can't take Jesus out of the equation. You can't take the gospel out of the equation and be saved just because you want to be saved. And that's what John is writing there early on in, in John. Man doesn't will things to happen. God reveals what will happen. Big difference. A prophet is just a messenger. That's all they are. It means to enlighten, fame, prof beforehand. That's what the word prophecy is about. comes from profame, to enlighten beforehand. Neither does it become prophecy because a group sitting in a legal session has determined it to be so. Now here is where epiluo is used to denote a legal or lawful assembly. It's one of the basic meanings of the word, so we're not going far out into never-never land and the secular usage of the word to find a meaning. It says, So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available, let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything above this, it will be settled, epiluo, in the lawful assembly. 
So meaning and legal determination would be made in the lawful assembly. So it's just showing what it, what the word means. What he's saying here by application is prophecy doesn't become prophecy because church councils determined it so. That's not what makes it prophecy. It still goes back to the revelation of the Father through the Holy Spirit. And that's where prophecy comes from. So just because a council says, well, this is the way it is, and then they start adding to and things like that, declaring it all to be right, that's not what makes a prophecy a prophecy. Don't take God out of the picture of telling the future. It's legally, it is legally determined by Jesus Christ himself, having been carried to individuals by the Holy Spirit. Here is our, another usage of the word, epiluo in Mark chapter 4 and with many such parables he was speaking the word to them as they were able to hear it but he did not speak without a parable but he was explaining epiluo everything privately to his own disciples he was putting it out in a legal form Jesus said this is the way it is this is what's going to happen that's where the legal determination comes from, from the King of Kings, the Almighty, the High Priest on Heaven's throne. That's where it is coming from. So <clears throat> the Lord being fully connected with the Holy Spirit can explain the deeper parts of Scripture. See, the Lord in His humanity was, was, had the, the Holy Spirit in full measure. Luke 24, 27 Stranger on the road to Emmaus. I love this. <laughs> Beginning with Moses uh, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and the scriptures. He told them this is legally what is right. This is what is true. So <clears throat> it's the Lord who does who does this interpretation has to be based on what God has clearly revealed what has he clearly revealed Matthew 1.23 here's a good example the virgin shall be with child shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us Emmanuel so it has to be based on what God has revealed now, it's not saying you don't put things together, but what it is saying is that there's hermeneutics concerning the interpretation of prophecy. <clears throat> and you go right back like you do with anything else. How would, how would you read it to begin with? You, the historical setting that you find it in? What, is the, what does the original languages say, I think, is extremely important. And then the comparison of Scripture with Scripture and letting it interpret itself. Just like the, the nets of the fishermen Katargeo means to weave together the nets. And that's how you put together any systematic theology, not just prophecy. You do prophecy the same way you do other things. What is a, What about reconciliation, propitiation, expiation? How do you do that? You take all of the passages, and then you seek to find out how they fit with without any contradictions. You did prophecy, you don't hammer to fit and paint to match, in other words. That's an old painter talking. It's the way we used to fix a lot of stuff. Right, Mike? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
bring a big hammer and putty. <laughs> we, oh well. We can become dull of hearing and thus it becomes more difficult for us to understand any portion of the word. <clears throat> dull of hearing. Hard of hearing is one thing. Dull of hearing means you just kind of don't want to hear it. He says, concerning him, we have much to say. He's talking about, oh, the high priest. That's the context that he's going into. And it's hard to explain. Since you've become dull of hearing. Some people just want to know so much, they don't want to go any deeper. But you can't, shouldn't criticize people who want to go deeper. And start to see things that the Lord has made clear. But when you go outside of the stated the, the statements, you must always be careful, willing to change, willing to adjust. Any anything that, that gets a little better picture of it. He says, For by this time you ought to be teachers, but you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. You don't want to go deep? Well, it's your business. But as long as you've been believers, you ought to be teachers. That's a fun verse, isn't it? When we need Sunday school teachers, we'll throw that one out. By this time, you ought to be teachers. For everyone who partakes only of milk and is not accustomed to the word of righteousness... For he is a babe. Solid food is for the mature. Who because of practice. You don't automatically get this as a believer. Because of practice. Have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And that what we just talked about the light. The light shining in the dark place. You have to have. You have to be spiritually trained. To discern good and evil. Because it is so prevalent today in our society. It is so easy to get trapped by the, the false teachers and the false prophets and to be lured away from, from what the truth is. This is part of the warning that Peter has given us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this day, your mercy and love. We thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for the fact that we have the prophetic word made more certain. <clears throat> it is a lamp shining in a dark place. As we look at the world in which we find ourselves, we know it is a mess. But Father, we know that it's not out of your control. We know that your, your judgment is not asleep. Father, we know that you are waiting for just the right time. And Father, we do pray that the bride and body of Christ would be filled up. We wait for the trumpet and we look forward to that day. May we be found uh, ready whenever that trumpet sounds. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.